0: you are listening to the double dude power hour today's track is not for little ears so keep them covered the opinions on this track don't reflect the views of band members day jobs now get ready to rock and roll with two dudes and their new single one double feature
1: we are two dudes one double feature we welcome welcome everybody to two dudes one double feature the show in which two dudes talk about two movies and well that's about it i am dude one richard dude Two, joe speaking of joe um real quickly at the top here i want to wish you even though as of this recording it's not but as of when the episode's uploaded it will be or it will have passed uh your birthday so happy birthday thanks man you, uh, you don't look a day over 35.
0: You know. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's okay. <laughs> some days, I, I say this to you all the 43? time. 43? Some days I feel like, I, you know, some days I feel like I'm 80. So I, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Sure. I mean, I've seen your movie collection. I, I would believe you're 80. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. I watch, I watch movies that are older than my grandparents, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh
0: but no seriously, happy birthday, man. Thank you.
1: Like I said, it's not technically your birthday now, but it's coming up in a couple of days. Do you know what you're doing?
0: Uh just probably gonna go out with the family at this at this one like seafood place. You know, just anywhere we we can go out to eat because I feel like if we invited people over or go to somebody's house, even with like the maximum thing at whatever number in New Jersey, you know, I I just feel safer if we all meet up outside of somebody's home because you, you, there's too many factors to think about when you're bringing in something from from you know right yeah uh from the outside and and all that plus with the way you know with tables are set up they're pretty socially distant in a lot of these places and i i've i haven't gone out to eat all the time during this uh pandemic but the places i have been going to i've for the most part have felt pretty safe you know i actually ordered pizza the other day when i went to pick it up they had like there was the most hardcore social distancing markers I had seen in most the most rest compared to most restaurants. To that pizza place, we commend you and your and your work. Good job. Like literally, they have clean pen, dirty pen. So you can pick up a clean pen, sign, place it in the dirty bin, then boom, you're good to go. I've seen that in some places, and I hadn't seen that in most places. Yeah, so it, it's actually. Um, you know, and that was, and the pizza was pretty darn good. We got like sausage and pepper and pepperoni. Ooh, man, that was good.
1: I was to say, you also have the benefit of being close to, uh, to the,
0: to the big apple itself. So you have that, that good, uh, that good pizza. As far as like good, like pizza is concerned, you know, as new, New Jersey, New York is pretty, you know, is pretty good. I mean, you can't, I don't want to say you can't go wrong. Cause I've I've had terrible pizza in, in both of those locations uh you know most for the most part it's uh it's pretty good
1: nice i'm doing pretty i'm doing pretty good actually i two things Um getting back into star wars again <laughs> which is not new it's either batman or star wars for me in the past like it just it's like a transition <laughs> um i finally because remember uh at the beginning of the of the quarantine we started watching clone wars i finished clone wars and I made a video about it which you, oh, that's you right. can check it out on my YouTube channel channel 23 ha ha ha. And uh, now I'm in the middle of watching Rebels. So once I'm done with that, I'll probably make a video about that just cuz I'm kind of getting in the, the getting the bug for it a little bit. The last episode we talked about Alien and it prompted me to want to watch Prometheus again to finally like watch it in its entirety. So I did that. It's okay. It's <laughs> it's it all right. I mean, the best part was uh, Michael Fassbender and his Lawrence of Arabia hair. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch Alien Covenant as well. After that, that was that was a lot better than I remembered it being because it's just wild. It's just kind of a
0: wacky movie, but I I kind of liked it. Yeah, I've never seen Alien Covenant only because like Prometheus actually was one of the better three D experiences I've had at the movies. But as a overall movie, I didn't care for it all that much. It doesn't
1: advertise a like it doesn't like give you that feeling of wanting to move forward after because like, when when the first one stinks you're like Neh. but it's it's worth checking out just because it is kind of like wow. Like it's like a mad scientist movie a little bit. It's kind of fun. Okay. But um speaking of movies, um there was actually before we get into our double feature, there was somewhat of a big movie news that happened uh the past
0: week. Yes. Uh I was gonna pull up the article <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's okay. We pre- I promise you, we normally prepare for these episodes.
0: Um. <laughs> yeah. So the big movie news, the big new movie news the last couple of days. Everything with movies lately has been relating to the pandemic, right? Yeah. It, it, it's just it's hard to talk about anything movies in recent memory without mentioning that and. All the movies that are like moving their release dates, moving indefinitely, moving, you know, to PVOD, moving to streaming and all that. Well, one of the big ones, Disney's Mulan, their remake of their Disney Renaissance film, is getting a release on Disney Plus in markets that have Disney Plus. In other places that don't have Disney Plus, it'll go to theaters. But in places that have Disney Plus, if you have a Disney Plus subscription... You can pay twenty nine ninety nine to have Mulan on Disney Plus. Listen, I have some issues with this from from just a job
1: standpoint. Because first and foremost, it's sad, it's bad enough that we're in the middle of this. But as far as like the movie theater point of view, it's bad enough that a lot of these movies, especially if any, like the, when the big ones start going to streaming, then that's just money out of the movie theaters' pockets and you know out of the people that work in the movie theater so when i see stuff like that it it somewhat hurts my soul a little bit you know but on top of that like it's an interesting move and it's going to be interesting to see how it affects things moving forward i don't know if i'd pay 30 dollars admittedly to see mula at least to see maybe if it was like i know i'm gonna do it so i so this is all pointless what i'm saying but (laughs) (laughs) but like like, if I thought about it and I actually didn't do it, I would probably... It just seems like a bit too much, but I know I'm going to do it anyway because I want to watch it.
0: I know I've heard with the $30 charge, it's not just a rental. It's basically saying as long as you are subscribed to Disney+, Plus, after you pay that 30 bucks, you have access to Mulan, which I, I would say it's interesting because I haven't seen anybody do anything quite like that. Usually when you have... Like a PVOD or like a streaming thing is usually either one or the other. But this is like a weird right. sort of hybrid. Um, going off of my perspective, I don't work for a movie theater, you know. So obviously I hear your struggles, but I also look at it like mm. this. Okay. My AMC, which I've been going to my entire life, my entire life. When it was a Lowe's theater and had terrible seats And I remember they had, like, the Grover, like, intro for, like, the movies. Like, you know, and and sit back and relax. Enjoy the show! I remember those days as a kid. Oh, boy. But there's a lot of problems. One, the bulbs are clearly dimmed. So the projection is garbage. So when I was watching Avengers Endgame, it just looked like mud was on the screen. it, It wasn't exciting. I was like, this is terrible. This is lame. And that could really affect your perception of a movie. And also, there's, like, yellow smudges that have been on there since I was in high school, which was, like, a decade ago for, for me. So, like, when I was watching Little Women, great movie, but then I see, like, a yellow smudge on this, like, really emotional scene where a character is dying, and you're just like, oh, great, it's a yellow smudge. Listen, I, I feel for your plight. I understand,
1: you know, what your situation is. But at the end of the day,
0: I don't care if you have a sh- movie theater. <laughs> it takes away my money. <laughs> But here's the thing, though. But it, it kind of doesn't, though, because we don't know when movie theaters are going to be opened up here, though. And there's going to be you're not wrong. There's going to be a you're, there's going to be a lot of product that will be put in theaters. Like I'm talking long thing. term. It's, in long term, yes, long term, this is disastrous. I don't disagree with you, but yeah, it, it's like as of I'm now, gonna, as know, of now,
1: it's I I think it's a better idea.
0: It's a better idea because Disney has been losing hand over fist billions of dollars since this lockdown started and a lot of that's come from their theme parks which generate a lot of money for them but they've had to keep those parks closed for such a long time that you know they've been losing so much so much money and they couldn't release black widow or mulan which those could have each earned a billion dollars a piece yeah so and it's not like we have like okay movie theaters will will everything will be okie dokie in October, right? If you if that if somehow exactly. that magically could happen, this move would not be happening. However, because there is no end in sight for a lot of this stuff. I mean, there are certain things Very that true. are reopening. Hollywood just is not ready right now to do a nationwide opening of a two hundred million dollar tentpole release. But all, going back to my point, my selfishness, I can control <laughs> my theater exact, environment. Exactly, you're selfish. <laughs> My, my selfish butt, really, like, I can control my my environment. I watch my stuff on my 4K TV with my soundbar. Is it as good as a premium movie experience that has, like, the perfect projection, sound, yada yada, and all that nonsense? No, it's not. But it's certainly better than seeing a yellow smudge on Mulan's face. Listen, on that note as well, this is just to your
1: AMC. That's just bad business because I know at my theater they've changed the screens. Like we get we get whole shipments of brand new screens sometimes, just and we swap them out because that's what you do out over time. The fact that that's been the case for you know your entire life that you've been going that's just bad business on your movie
0: theaters. That's just you need to go to a different theater. <laughs> but it, the, the problem is like the next closest theater is so is far, and I'm just like. It, it, it's 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 like it's kind of like a it, we used to have another local theater by us, but then they shut down. This was pre COVID and all that nonsense, right? But it, it's going to be tricky because AMC is going to be really hurting after this, and that not even yeah. just from COVID. They have they have billions of dollars in debt from other ventures and all that from improving their theaters, which does not include taking care of those screens. But that's besides the point. Uh, point being, this is uh, this is going to be an interesting decision. You know, and to see how this moves forward in the industry. Yeah,
1: it's got its high points, but it's got its low points. So whatever happens in the long run with this is going to be interesting. I just hope that it isn't a devastating thing. That's my viewpoint, because it could easily be one.
0: I hope that this is like something that keeps Disney afloat, but also doesn't like sink the movie theater industry as we know it, because that would be awful.
1: Right. I would cry. Anyway, so that's that's uh, the bit of interesting uh, movie news that we've had. <laughs> it is going to be interesting, admittedly, just to see how like, all these movies going to streaming, how that plays out as time goes on. Because obviously it seems like a lot of these studios are experimenting. They're trying different avenues, and like, where could they make the most money? How could they make the most money? It almost feels like if they f- if they find a plausible... good enough way to to be able to make this work even post pandemic when things start kind of like you know getting somewhat back to quote-unquote normal then that's that's gonna be a bad thing for movie theaters but who knows we don't know yet it's 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 uh it's it's in it's in the works right now
0: so one thing i will ask is our listeners are you going to pay 30 dollars to watch mulan would you or if you had to pay for mulan at home, what would be the dollar amount that would be your limit? Please let us know your thoughts on our social media: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If I was answering that,
1: I'd say like five ninety nine a month. Wait, I already do that. <laughs> Disney Disney Plus is six ninety
0: nine.
1: Well, you know what? I I, I know people.
0: <laughs> I can oh, get a know, dollar you know, off. You know, uh, you know, Bob Chapek.
1: Yeah. Well, I call him Bobby. I call him Robert, Bobby. just to like throw, just, and I, whenever he says Bob, I'm like, dude,
0: that's so weird.
1: <laughs> I know he was Robert. <laughs> 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 oh,
0: goodness oh, gracious. Good, good, good gravy. You know, but, uh, I did pay for a movie recently on my, my television oh. that, you know, it, it was not $30, but man, if I had to pay $30 for it, I'd have to say, I think it was worth it. All and right. I, we wa- both watched this movie. yesterday. Oh, did we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <What>? we did. <laughs> <laughs> what what is what is this movie you're talking about? I forget. This movie that we watched yesterday, which is coincidentally the first film of our double feature pairing, is Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim versus the World. <laughs> I love that was good. I like that. That was a worthy
1: intro for Scott Pilgrim versus The World. <laughs> oh my god, no. I'm actually super excited about this, because as you know, this is one of my... This is literally one of my all-time favorite movies. Here, Here's a bit of a story. I, I told you this story last night, but, but here's a story for the listeners. So, prior to having seen Scott Pilgrim, I had no clue who Edgar Wright was. I had no clue uh, what Scott Pilgrim was. I was completely in the dark. And then... In 2010, which was the first and only time I've ever gone to San Diego Comic-Con, which was a pretty, actually, it was a pretty cool experience, I actually ran into Zack Snyder uh, walking down the sidewalk at one point, which was weird. I was going back to the convention center, and uh, it was Friday night, and I was going back to get picked up, and I walked past him right next to these giant semi-trucks that were promoting Jackass 3D. Mm-hmm. And, like, all the jackass guys were having, like, a picnic there or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not the story. Okay. That just was a fun little thing that happened.
0: To build the atmosphere.
1: Just to paint a picture for you of San Diego Comic-Con if you've never been. So, when I was there, I think it was Thursday or Friday, I don't remember, we were getting ready to go to Hall H. And if you've been to Comic-Con, you know, Hall H is where they have the big panels for the biggest movies. So, like, for example, um, Saturdays at San Diego Comic-Con were always huge epic uh exciting events because that's where like warner brothers and marvel and disney and all those cats would like put out like the biggest movie news be like oh my god like when we heard that batman and superman were going to be in a movie together it was that it was at san diego comic-con in hall h during that during their panel we were waiting in line and the line for hall h is huge it's the biggest line i'm pretty sure in the entirety of the convention and so then, uh, the next panel that was staldi- st- starting—pardon me—was *Salt*. You know, the uh, the the classic Angelina Jolie spy movie that everybody remembers. Is that the one with James McElroy? Um
0: So, is he in that one? No, that's that's *Wanted*. Wanted. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay.
1: Yeah, no *Salt*. I don't even—I've never seen it, so I—that just shows you how much we know. I was just excited to. <laughs> that just shows you how much we know about these. Films. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what—I don't know what it's about. I was just excited to see Angelina Jolie from a very far distance. I got to do that too at D (laughs) twenty three. Right? It's fun. (laughs) So we're sitting there, we're listening to them talk about salt, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then uh they I think they talked about the expendables that day and they talked about Red, which are basically the same movie except ones based on a comic by what is now a alleged uh sex offender. Which is true, look it up, it's it's sad. Uh when the Scott Pilgrim panel was happening, beforehand they were handing out these pins. They were and each pin had like a different character. So like there was a couple of the X's, uh, some of Scott himself, and and there was ones that uh, was like the extra life one. The panel started and I was I was like ooh I like it was the first panel that like you know actually like handed people to handed something to the crowd. So I was really excited to get something. And eventually the panel started and Edgar Wright came out because he was moderating the panel and it was so. Hysterical! I I instantly fell in love with him just as a person because I had never seen any of his movies, but I was like, "This guy is hilarious! He's so charming! I love his British accent! I love it!" And the cast was coming out, and um, pretty much everyone in the cast was there except uh, Chris Evans because he was filming Captain America at the time. But funny enough, Michael Cera dressed up as Captain America just to like balance it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so that was really funny to see him walk out in the Captain America outfit, right? And then Edgar Wright, he was talking about the movie. He was showing clips, and it looked really, really cool. And he made two announcements, and mind you, the first one was in relation to the fact that at the height of uh, the 3D movie movement, wasn't, like, around 2010, like, Mm post-Avatar. And so his first announcement was, this movie will not be shot in 3D which the crowd erupted with excitement including myself and then the other one was he was excited to announce that uh in small roles uh two actors that people know him for or know that he uses a lot in his movies were going to be in the movie and he said everyone welcome to the stage Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and everyone's like freaking out oh my god and they walk out onto the stage and everyone was like, "Oh my God, no!" And, like everyone was cheering, and and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost were like going, "Yeah, they're high-fiving everybody," and and then he goes, "Wait, hold on, I misread that. They're not gonna be in the movie."
0: Wah, wah.
1: <laughs> oh my God, that was so funny. And then like they, then Edgar Wright, and Nick Frost, uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost looked at Edgar Wright, and they were like. Aw, they just walked off the stage all sad. That was it. That was the joke. The whole panel was just a really cool experience, and it was my favorite panel that whole time I was at San Diego Comic-Con. And then, the coolest thing, when they were handing out the pins, if you got the Extra Life pin, the one-up pin, you got to go with the cast and Edgar Wright to go watch the movie after the panel.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah. It was really cool, and just that alone just made me go, I have to see this guy's movies, I have to see his work. So I went and saw Scott Pilgrim when it came out in theaters, Instantly fell in love with it because it feels like it's my brain a little bit in a movie.
0: (laughs) I did feel like when I was re-watching this, especially, you know, because when I first watched Scott Pilgrim, I don't, I forget, I might have known you, but we weren't like we 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 were more acquaintances, I think, at that point, you know, and I I don't think we were as close. No, yet. but like now, uh, seeing it now after knowing you for so long, I'm like, yeah, this is like Richard the movie. Except, I hope you wouldn't you wouldn't act like Michael <laughs> Sarah and date like a, like a, a high schooler or something like that. At this age, no, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not at this
1: age. <laughs> If I ever, like, say, Joey, meet my girlfriend, she's an 18-year-old, a senior in high school, I hope you, like, not only slap me, but, like, maybe punch me right in the face.
0: Maybe, <laughs> maybe it would get your brain in order at that point, and it would be, like, the greatest thing that happened to any of us. <laughs> Just, whoom! <laughs> wham! wham! Oh man, but
1: no, uh, I literally and then obviously after watching Scott Pilgrim, I went and watched the Cornetto movies. And then obviously from that point I just watched like everything else. So like I watched um Baby Driver, that came out. I'm super excited for A Night in Soho, I believe it's called, the new one. He's oh. he's actually filming it right now. They're
0: Okay. Cool, cool.
1: Yeah, they're they they got the go ahead to go back to filming it. So like it's interesting to see him post on Instagram with a face mask
0: on, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and I'm excited to see it. This was not my first was not my first Edgar Wright movie because uh, I had seen just about the entire I had seen the other two parts, the first two parts of the Cornetto trilogy before this one and then I saw hmm. Wor- World's End. This was through my university's like movie club and my my good my good friend uh Julian, shout out to Julian. He really wanted to do an Edgar Wright thing for like a couple days, so it was like an, almost like an Edgar Wright festival. So we had the Cornetto trilogy and Scott Pilgrim, and that's how I was introduced to the works of um, works of Edgar Wright. One of the things that I want to say right off the top, and we're we'll talking about a lot this episode. This is definitely an Edgar Wright movie. Oh,
1: clearly, um, it's got it's got all of his. Like little classic notes that he does, like the pacing for one. A lot of his movies are fairly fast paced, and even just the way he transitions shots and sure. the little details, like the the meticulousness, the the attention to detail, the literally like he. I feel like, he, well, I don't feel like I, I know this. He plans out every movie and how he's going to cut it well in advance before he actually shoots it, and like he even stages it with the actors. Like when they were making Scott Pilgrim. I'm pretty sure they did the whole movie before they even did the movie.
0: <laughs> so like like a rehearsal type of thing, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And like, they did all types of different things, like exercises. It was kind of like a summer camp a little bit, but it was all done mm-hmm. in massive preparation. His, pre, his pre-prep for movies is insane. There's only so many directors that you see have that, that much attention and put that much work into each movie. It's probably why he's only made... What like six or seven movies? So I mean, he he puts the work in to make it like exactly how he wants to make it.
0: Is this the biggest movie that he's done as far as the budget is concerned? Um, just I'm not sure. Out of curiosity, actually, I'm not. I think this costs, like 60 million to make. I was re- reading this off, off somewhere, mm-hmm. and I didn't know. I I didn't know if you knew because the other movies. Not saying they look cheap because they're not, no. but. They don't, they don't look like they're, you know, $60, $70 million productions, or at least most of them don't.
1: I want to say possibly, because prior to that, he only had the first two Cornetto trilogy movies, and he didn't do the third one until 2013. Mm-hmm. It's quite possible that that was probably his biggest budget one.
0: Well, because I also think about it, too, and, like, yes, it, it feels like the Edgar Wright movie, because every, everything is planned, everything is thought out, but also I was thinking, because if this is, like, up to this point, his biggest movie of his career... Looking at like the budget and the scale of it and the like, the cast and all that and all that stuff, I feel like he really needed to nail the pre production, the preparation aspects. It needed that preparation. I just wanted to say, nothing is waste like wasted. You met, mentioned this before, but nothing in this is wasted. There's no shot that just like shouldn't be there. Everything is exactly mm-hmm. where it needs to be to tell the story. And just
1: even just the like the blocking or like the framing of things and the way like he lets the camera move you know he it's not like done through like massive editing like every shot is done for a purpose he just does so much with placing everything just exactly where it needs to be and you can easily tell because there's no way this movie would have been made without you know, a lot of massive preparation.
0: And I also want to bring up, too, the only way, could, other way I could have seen this thing done is through animation. Right. And one of the other films I have to think about, which is not a part of our double feature, but I think would be also another good pairing, would be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is such a visually distinct movie, but I've always thought with like with comic book adaptations and all that, that animation... For me, at least, nine times out of ten is generally the way to go. It is. Because your your suspension of disbelief, you know, is different from that of a live-action movie. I'm more able to believe that Miles Morales, you know, can turn invisible and do these other things and whatnot, or that Scott Pilgrim can pull out a sword of, <laughs> like, love or self-respect out of his chest, you know. But this movie is one of those comic book movies, few comic book Adaptations like in live action, I think it comes the closest as far as to like because I I don't, I never read Scott Pilgrim, but I've seen a few panels and all that, and it feels like it comes the closest to resembling a comic book.
1: And that's the thing, too. Like, I've talked to you about this. My one real big grievance when it comes to comic book adaptations, especially like superhero movies or anything, is that I feel like a lot of them only adapt 50% of the story. So, like, you look at a lot of the Marvel Mm -hmm. movies. And you look at a lot of even some of the even some DC movies and some of the other superhero movies, a lot of them don't really adapt the visual aspect because comic books are a visual medium, and you know, the artist involved in the book is just as important as the writer. And so, when I watch, say, like as much as I love Winter Soldier, anytime I watch that, I go, This movie could look better not to say that every movie should look like scott pilgrim because scott pilgrim was perfectly tailored for its adaptation but look at something like the john wick movies not based on a comic completely original but they look like a comic even with just the simple idea of adding more color to the palette or the way that they use the camera or just again just general like lighting and background dressing just a little bit just to make it feel like a comic book come to life a little bit you know, I feel like you can do that more, especially today, and then you can evoke the artist as well as the writer. That's kind of why I loved Thor Ragnarok a lot, because it evokes the style of Jack Kirby, who is so instrumental in uh, a lot of those early Marvel books. And, and even, like, you know, stuff like The New Gods at DC, you know, it's I just I think that more comic book movies should do the whole thing and not so much just the story. Which is just a personal thing, maybe, but, but I do agree that the animation aspect, like that should probably be like the best avenue for a lot of these movies, because there you can really go for it. You know, I love those like like early 2000s DC direct-to-video movies, like, uh, like, Justice, like Justice League New Frontier, looks so much like Darwin Cook's art, which was so cool, it was so nice to see that. With a bigger budget, doing that kind of thing, that would be pretty dope if you ask me.
0: No, I, I definitely definitely agree with that. But I think we should talk about the cast. Oh
1: my god, this cast because
0: oh man. This this
1: movie dude. had <laughs> this movie has so many actors that would go on to have amazing careers and even edgar wright in the bonus features was talking about that he was talking about like oh we made this movie before aubrey plaza was in parks and rec or we made this movie before chris evans was in captain america or we made this movie before brie larson won her like all these big actors that would go on to have really great careers or you know or Anna kendrick before she was in the twilight movies they were talking to her to be in this movie because they were planning to make this movie a while ago, mm. and they were already like approaching her to play Scott Pilgrim's sister, Stacy. Oh, wow, that is interesting. So, fun fact about her character: so, remember when we were watching it, I mentioned uh, her name tag because she works at the coffee shop in the movie. Yes, that is the artist, the writer of Scott Pilgrim's sister's actual pin, because she worked in that coffee shop, and her name is Stacy.
0: So they no they let, yeah they let her use it in the movie. Oh, that's neat. The little details, man. Little, 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 little details. Can I just say, and like, because we haven't really talked too much about the plot of this movie, where you have Scott Pilgrim. He has to fight off, was it seven evil exes? Seven evil exes. Seven evil exes. And they're each so different and unique from one another. <laughs> and oh my good, Can we just appreciate that that Chris Evans is basically playing if if Leah Schreiber and Clint Eastwood had a baby? Who grew up playing Tony Hawk games, became a movie star, and was basically Clint Eastwood on a skateboard. Can we appreciate that? Oh my god, yes we can. The utilization of the actors in this movie is
1: astounding. Like, it's just the way all the different characters everyone plays is amazing. My my personal favorite for me is Brandon Routh as Todd. Todd Ingram. Oh, he's funny. Um, because he plays this like dopey like Dragon Ball Z vegan. who um has some of the best lines my favorite line in the whole movie is tell it to the cleaning lady on monday because you'll be dust by monday because you'll be pulverized in two seconds and the cleaning lady she cleans up dust she dusts (laughs) and then scott pilgrim's like so what happens on monday well it's friday now she has the weekends off
0: (laughs) i love that whole line it's amazing can we also appreciate too um, who who plays the roommate of of Scott? Kieran Culkin, one of the famous Culkins. He was the little brother in
1: Home Alone, the one that was that Macaulay Culkin was afraid was going to pee on him.
0: Dude, he is so funny in this movie. Oh my god, dude,
1: he's Wallace the room. Uh, his uh, his gay roommate is this absolute standout of the entire movie. <laughs> like, like I, I agree so much. <laughs> <laughs> like anytime, anytime he like gets Scott Pilgrim to like like anytime a fight's about to happen, he's just like Scott Evil X fight. <laughs> or like when he, <laughs> or like when he's trying to steal Anna Kendrick's boyfriend. Yes. Oh, that whole that whole scene is amazing. Just him going, Hey, this next, Hey, this band, uh, <laughs> do they <laughs> are they good or do they suck? And he's like, They haven't played yet. That was a test, and you passed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah! All of his little little things are so good. Uh, oh. It was really hard for me, too, because you know one of the exes is Jason Schwartzman, who's of course been in a bunch of Wes Anderson movies. Yes, one of his go-to. I was just like, it. One of of Wes Anderson's go-to. So I'm like, man, he is he is the bad guy in this. <laughs>
1: Oh my God. One thing I love about that too is when Edgar Wright was casting this movie, besides maybe Chris Evans and Brandon Routh, and obviously now like Mary Elizabeth Winstead and uh, Brie Larson, none of these actors are actors you would think would be in action movies, let alone action movies with probably some of the best action sequences in any movie I've ever seen. Like, who thought Michael Sarah would be able to kick a lot of ass? <laughs> better than some like the best superhero like Chris like Chris Hemsworth almost, you know? Or or like Jason right. Schwartzman <laughs> being like a an expert swordsmith. It's 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 amazing. I love I love when movies do that when you have actors that are that are more I guess like comedically or, like, they're completely known for something completely different. And they do, like, like something that's totally out of their comfort zone, like a comedian doing an action movie. It's always exciting.
0: And I didn't think about it like that. That's actually a good point to bring up with um, uh, with all of that stuff. Like, did you
1: ever think Michael Sarah and Jason Schwartzman would be having a sword fight with uh, with a katana on fire and a, an 8-bit a uh, samurai sword? It's amazing. It's beautiful. I'm so happy. But speaking of uh, Michael Sarah you and I have a bit of a, a bit of a back and forth on on this particular character. We do so, and it, I feel we like it, it needs to be discussed. So, okay, a little bit of a little bit of backstory. Recently, I watched Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes, which is one of Joey's all time, like top ten favorite movies. It is, and I watched it. And my first thought the entire time, as much as because I like the movie, but my first thought the entire time was, "Wow, mm. Taylor Charlton Heston's character is awful. He's not that he's a bad character. he's just a bad person. <laughs> and yes, he is and you would think as the movie progresses, by the time the movie ends, he would be somewhat different or changed. But no, he's to me, he still seems like a jerk. And I remember telling you that and you were like, "Well, hold on. <laughs> hold the phone." So, when we watched Scott Pilgrim last night, it was kind of the it was kind of the same thing. It was kind of the same reaction. Now, before we get into this, I think there's at least four things that you and I can agree on in this regard. One, both characters at least at the start of the movies are jerks. Yeah, sure. Two, the rest of the characters around them agree that they are jerks. Yes. Four, both of these movies are very close to our hearts, so we may have some personal bias towards them. Absolutely, and uh, the fourth one is that we both like these movies. Yeah, so I think we can agree with that. It's just this one aspect that it's just it's just funny the way it's just the way that that was the way that that happened. Uh,
0: here, here's my thing with, with with Scott, and I think part of it is because of what what's been going on with like not meet to necessarily, but kind of where he's with, I know like the eight, you could say age of consent is different in some places. Cause like, cause in, he has cause like in Canada, high schooler. in Canada, it's 16, but it's, it's still, I look, it, it's still uh, to me, at least a little irresponsible and the characters call him out on oh, the, yeah. in the movie too. So I'm not, so it's, uh, it's, but it, it is, it's, I think it's interesting that he does get a redemption thing too. It haunts him throughout the movie, which I was like, well, I think... get him! <laughs> get him! <laughs> I
1: think, I, I think you would agree with this, that both characters do get a beating. Like, karma is a bitch. They do. Like, with, with Taylor, he's a prisoner amongst apes 2,000 years into the he future. He loses his voice. He loses his voice, and he's essentially, um, you know, poked and prodded as if he was an ape amongst humans. With scott he's getting his ass kicked on it on the daily once he once he ends up with ramona all these dudes are just beating the shit out of him (laughs) and um like i think i think with at least for me with scott yes he does some things that just irk you and he's very self-centered but he also has no self-respect he has no respect for anybody it seems And a lot of it does stem from, as they say in the movie, uh, his last girlfriend, which was Brie Larson's character, um, and how he just kind of, like, mopes about that the whole movie, and how it doesn't affect him, but it actually does, as Bill Hader, as the narrator says. Mm -hmm. I think, through the course of, at least with Scott Pilgrim, he does get some sense of... I'm not saying he's completely changed... But I think he does get some sense of self-respect, and I do think that he does learn that he is being a terrible person because he does. I mean, he apologizes to everybody. Not to say that that's entirely a fix, but he at least is now acknowledging that it's a problem, and he wants to move forward from it. It's it's right. very similar. It's very similar to Ramona because Ramona, as she tells in her and as her like her stories about her exes, was very much the same person, just kind of going from person to person. Right and. And that's and that's just the message about love in general is finding somebody that not only do you love but someone you can spend the rest of your life with and someone that makes you a better person and I think that's what Ramona did for Scott.
0: That's fair. That that is all fair. It's just, it it, it is. I, I I what I will say is I'm not sure. I I think that angle with him with the high schooler plays differently in 2020. Okay, that's all I'm okay. saying. It's like that. It's like regardless of consent and all that he's a man he is a man who who can effectively who's effectively could be graduated from college i, I forget his <laughs> I, that I don't i just look that, at him and whatever. i'm like he doesn't have a degree and she's... <laughs> he, he,
1: he, he, he lives doesn't in have a, a hole degree but wall. he could
0: you know and he it's you know and and the movie doesn't endorse his his thing or anything anything like that it's just it's interesting that's all I'll, it's it's an interesting Thing to look at. But I, th- but I
1: think age gap is, a, is an interesting thing, nonetheless. Because I mean, like when you're when you're older, obviously, if you're forty and you date a thirty-year-old, it it might like weird some people out.
0: But at that point, it's it's you've aged well enough on both ends that it's not so much at, a that, problem. Yeah. At that point, you've both you've both gone through life. You know, yes, the forty-year-old's probably gone through more life, but you're both develop Your both brains are both developed, and you know, whatever.
1: Again, I, I think that I think that at least for me, and again, personal biased as I said, you know, I do think that Scott does change as the movie progresses, and um, he acknowledges that what he did was wrong, and um, thankfully, you know, the people around him like him enough that they're able to forgive him. Maybe not down the line. Maybe there will be a problem if they ever did like a sequel. But and plus, you know, you got to know the Scott Pilgrim story is six books and they were making the movie as well as making the the comic series so clearly both paths were going to diverge regardless and so i mean you know they had to tell the complete story within two hours so again i'm not i'm not uh i don't want to make excuses but that's that's how i'm seeing it but i just thought it was funny that that was the initial back and forth when we we're like when we start when you start watching i was like oh god this is a taylor moment <laughs> this is totally a taylor moment i th- i was th- so thankful sc- <laughs> I was so thankful Scott didn't have like an evil laugh zoom in moment
0: where he's like, (laughs) I think I think I would have liked him more if he'd done. Oh no! Be like, at least you're being. (laughs) Oh no! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) I don't. I just like evil zoom in laughs in general, vaguely ominous laughs. Let's normalize that. (laughs) Yes, Uh, please. No, but going off of weird things, uh, this movie unfortunately its it's initial release did not make back its money it cost 60 million to make and it made yeah 47 million it maybe worldwide. it definitely lost
1: money which sucks because when you love a movie especially like as much as i love scott pilgrim it's sad to hear that it that it didn't make a lot of money and that happens a lot especially with movies like scott pilgrim that are more visually stylized and i'm not saying that it's 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 not you know justified to dislike the movie or to you know think it's not a good adaptation. That's perfectly fine, obviously films are subjective, but it does it to some degree it, it does kind of hurt to hear like oh it didn't like, no one cared enough to want to go see this.
0: But now if you talk to people who have seen the movie and they probably have seen it on Netflix or or whatever they've seen I don't know if it's on Netflix still, but like I'm sure a lot of people saw it on Netflix or whatever. And you talk to people now, and they go, yeah, Scout Pilgrim's a pretty good movie.
1: Yeah, it's it's getting a second wind, which is nice. And I think uh, it's exciting to hear more and more people 'Cause I remember when that came out, like I would be telling people, Oh my god, I saw this movie Scott Pilgrim, have you seen it? It's so awesome, it has amazing fight sequences. It's a love story, it's like the perfect date movie. It has everything for both you know, like the you know, both people that like the romance but also the like the comic book action scenes. Chris Evans is in it, he shows off a little bit of his chest, you know. I mean, what more do you want? <laughs> it's so it's a good movie. It's a good time, go see it. But no, it was it was it's nice to see that it's getting a second wind, um, and it's its tenth anniversary this year. So happy tenth anniversary, Scott Pilgrim! Woo, <laughs> woo indeed.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness! But Scott Scott Pilgrim is definitely you know definitely a unique film as far as like the last decade or so of movies is concerned. Uh, would you now? Do you think the movie was marketed well for what it was? I. Th- it could be a case of one of those movies that
1: they just didn't really know how to market it. I mean, I think now because I think Edgar Wright has become more of a of a name to some degree for for people, maybe not a big name but a name for some people with uh, like baby driver, if Baby driver didn't have the unfortunate controversy of having terrible people in the movie, I think that movie would have gone on uh, to be an Oscar movie in some degree. It would have maybe got nominated in some categories admittedly i think so that is that is a good question i think maybe like it just it, maybe it was maybe it wasn't I people from
0: the jump didn't really know what to make of it you know what i think it was for me when i was looking at this and i was an idiot in high school when this came out <laughs> but I, I just think i saw michael Sarah, and i'm like is this juno again <laughs> it, 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 obviously they're two very different movies oh uh, diablo cody michael Cera, <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, is this Juno? And Michael Cera was in a lot. Oh no, yeah, he you was. Know, like like, he was in a lot. Of super
1: things. bad Juno. Like he, that was kind of like the height of his career. Now he's not really much in anything. The last movie I saw him in, well, I didn't even see him. I heard him in was Lego Batman as Robin. Who he was amazing.
0: Right. Why is Michael Sarah in all my favorite comic book movies? <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's doing okay though. No, in, in all seriousness, you know he he plays. He plays... I, I I give his characters crap, but he, he plays them well. <laughs> he does. I can't imagine anyone else for that role, to be honest. He plays it very well.
1: No, he does a great job in the movie. And if you didn't have... Like, we say this all the time, but if you didn't have that, that perfect actor as an anchor to, like, lead your movie, then the movie just is crap. There's no point in it. But I like... Yeah. But... I think, I think Michael is a good lead for the movie. I think the whole movie has an, a phenomenal cast. Probably one of the best casts in any movie I've ever seen, if I'm being honest.
0: No, terrific, terrific ensemble. Really just great visuals. Obviously, Edgar Wright is a master at what he does. And when we come back from our intermission, we're going to get into a little bit more of that Edgar Wright magic with a twist. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome back to Two Dudes One Double Feature.
0: We apologize if your eardrums erupted after that (laughs) noise. This is Two Dudes One Double Feature. This is the second half of our episode. (laughs) Did you you just call me a noise? Did you just wait? Hold on. Did you just call me a noise? That noise. I didn't say that you were a noise. I said what you did was a noise. (laughs) You even? Are you calling me a that as well? I am so offended. You know what, I hope
1: Taylor burns in the next Planet of the Apes movie I watch. Actually, uh, it's funny you say that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait till you see the next one then, dude. Uh, oh, man. Oh, two two dudes, two dudes I'll be like, beneath the credit, Planet of the Apes. Credits. Let's go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways, welcome back to two dudes one double feature um for our next movie uh similar to scott pilgrim in a way and i do want to make a correction in my hint in the last episode i said this was a 10 year old movie it's only nine years old i just want to throw that out there so you know i know what i'm talking about it is also a comic book adaptation it also has edgar wright involved in it and un- unfortunately it was also uh somewhat of a box office bomb but it's still a movie worth talking about and that movie is none other
0: than the adventures of Tintin.
1: Yay! Yay! So
0: the adventures of Tintin. This is like. Let me tell you. Like, sometimes it's it's so rare to have like so many geniuses work on the same project. Like, let, let's let's let's. Okay. Just oh my God. Some of the behind the scenes people, right? Because <laughs> of course we mentioned that Edgar Wright was involved with this. He he was one of the writer one of the writers yes, he on this. And you also have Peter Jackson. You know, famous for all of his stuff mm-hmm. and of course the amazing ever so talented director of last week's jaws Steven Spielberg and uh, just for
1: for myself um as a doctor who fan it has Steven Moffat who helped write the screenplay with Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish you know he also did Sherlock which a lot of people love uh, myself included and he did the most recent uh Dracula adaptation which you know I know mm-hmm. I like it and I know you like yeah most of it yeah it was fine <laughs> But no, it was like in two thousand in two thousand eleven, seeing his name on this movie with Edgar Wright and Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson,
0: mind blow, just, just so exciting. So how do you get all these people together? Well, back in nineteen in like the eighties, nineteen eighty one when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, huge hit, right? Spielberg reads this french review for Raiders of the Lost Ark and he comes across this word and his french was very rusty and it said Tintin. He's like, "Oh, is that like a french expression? They're using it a lot in this review. Maybe they're meaning that my movie is good." <laughs> and he came to find out that Tintin was a beloved comic series written by Hergé and there's a lot of sort of uh similarities in, in certain instances with the Indiana Jones stories, Indiana Jones films and the Tintin books. And actually he was supposed he had a phone call with Hergé while he was making Temple of Doom because Hergé wanted to meet with Spielberg, but unfortunately a few weeks later Hergé had passed. Sad. But Hergé's widow, I believe her name is Fanny, which is a fantastic name. Fanny is an amazing name. But listen, <coughs> Fanny, we love you. Fanny uh she wanted Spielberg to do the adaptation of Tintin and that was this was in the 80s so many 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 years later we have of course you know Peter Jackson who at a young age was a huge Tintin fan like to the point where in New Zealand he didn't have like the fully like translated books so he was reading the Tintin books in their original like French printings or whatever that's so peter jackson of course like he wants spielberg involved with this so he sends spielberg like a like a test to see okay how does how are we going to do snowy because you got to have snowy the dog and peter jackson yes. dre- i'm telling this story because it's amusing but like peter jackson dresses up as captain haddock in one oh, of the camera tests and he, he it looks he yes. looks great it's like a fun like co- like costume if somebody went to, like if you went to a convention or something it'd be awesome no he he makes a great Haddock. i've seen that it's it's so good they they teamed up to do to do this project and this movie. If you don't know anything about Tintin, this is like a motion and pretty much entirely entirely motion captured endeavor. You know, so you got like your dots on the actors and you know they're acting, but they got all these like suits on with dots and little machinery and and all that nonsense. You know, so stuff like with Gollum in Lord of the Rings or uh, King Kong with the character of King Kong. Or the Planet of the Apes movies with, you know, Caesar. And what do all those things have in common? What do they have in common, Richard? Monkeys. Monkeys? Well, Gollum's, you know, Gollum's Gollum. But all of them are performed by Andy Circus. What? Since when? Uh, since, uh, since always. It's always been the case.
1: What? Oh, my God. Give me... I, oh, my God. I never do this. <laughs>
0: But going (laughs) off of that, Andy Serkis, I mean, he is the master of motion capture acting. Yes, he is. When you have credits like Caesar or Gollum, especially, King Kong, Snoke in Star Wars The Last Jedi, um, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Just the way you said that, Star Wars The Last Jedi. (laughs) But he, okay, sandwich rule about Snoke, he is excellent in that. He's great as Snoke. And there's nobody better equipped... Nobody better equipped to be a leading man in the world of motion capture than Andy Serkis, and that's how he landed the role of Captain Haddock. Essentially, <sighs> man, I, I, I've been talking a lot. What, what do you What do you think of this this movie? Because I've been saying, it, I've been talking. <laughs> too you know, <laughs> I like I like
1: just I like just letting you go because I like when you get excited about things. Fun fact: The first time I saw this movie, I actually saw it as a double feature. I saw it with uh, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, and then also. To, uh, no surprise, I fell asleep during both movies.
0: Yeah, that's the least <laughs> surprising part of that story.
1: Listen, when you have sleep apnea, and at the time I didn't have a CPAP machine, it's hard to stay awake during things, okay? For that. Um, no, I, did, I fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I ended up watching Tintin later, uh, obviously, when, uh, it came out on, uh, home release on Blu-ray. And I really, I really liked it. I really liked, um... The animation, I loved uh, the performances. Obviously, Andy Serkis as Haddock is just iconic. I was, I was really enjoying myself. It did remind me a lot of Indiana Jones. Not too much. Like, it wasn't like just a carbon copy Indiana Jones. No. Though, and I think you and I agree, wa- agree on this, it's a better fourth Indiana Jones
0: than the fourth Indiana Jones that we got. <laughs> Listen, I don't even hate Crystal Skull that much, <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. Neither do I, but it's just you're like, well, you're not wrong.
1: But um no, I really I really enjoyed it. Similar to Scott Pilgrim, I like that the movie and like we were saying with animation, I like that they try to capture the artwork as much as they capture the stories that the books tell. So, yes, yes. So while it's not just like oh here's Jamie Bell with a with a poof on his with a with like a really weird calic on his head or something, they actually do the best they can uh, with their w- in the animation to make the characters look like things, and I appreciated that wholeheartedly.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say like that. Thank you for bringing it up because other than just straight up animation, you would not be able to do this as a full live action movie without it feeling a little weird. Even just the camera, like the way, like you know, that's the big
1: one. Admittedly, a lot of a lot of movies they have these like impossible shots. Like the Transformer movies, or even maybe some of the Marvel movies, have these impossible shots um, that they do through CGI. And as cool as they can be, a lot of the times, it, it, at least, it takes me out of the movie a little bit because I'm just like, this just seems a bit too much. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's I, I guess I, it's kind of like why I somewhat appreciate how um, David Fincher, like when he first did his movies, he did have some of those impossible shots that he achieved through CGI, and like. Uh, the Panic Room movie, or the or uh, Fight Club, or any of those movies, but Fight Club because that is a little bit more surreal. It's it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. But in his later movies, he completely got rid of that and everything was in camera like possibly plausibly in shot in camera and so but with tintin it works because it's an animated movie and b because of the distorted reality of things and and having everything look a certain way it works a lot better so you can have those impossible shots you can have like the camera somehow floating in the middle of a scene and uh like follow the characters and that really especially that great wonder of them chasing the bird with the, the scroll. Yes, like, that's just, yes. that's just a good shot.
0: Like, that's one of those scenes where, you know, if I was like a video, we were a visual podcast, I would just show that clip. Right. Because there's no, no words I can use to describe it w- would be suitable because it, it's just a great, it's an overall great sequence. But the other thing with this movie, too, is like, I don't know if we brought up with like the facial features too much of that. No, we haven't yet. The, with the facial features, okay. So with a comic book, right, you can make things stylized and make a character have a really big nose or have a character have really, really large uh, mustache or and whatnot. It, it, you wouldn't question it twice because it's a comic, right, or it's a car- or a cartoon or whatever. But if you were to do this, it, do that stuff in just regular live action, it, it would look off. And the other thing I'm thinking about too are the Robert Zemeckis like motion capture based movies, right, where yeah. they sort of take you out of it, yeah, and. One of the big ones is Beowulf, where not all of the characters, but a lot of them are just CGI versions of those actors. Yeah. But what I love about Tintin, and what Tintin avoids, is that Haddock is not just a CGI Andy Serkis. The Daniel Craig villain is not just CGI Daniel Craig. It, they actually... <laughs> oh, that
1: would be weird. Um. Uh, no, they actually just look like the characters from the book, and yeah, no. And the sad thing about Beowulf, Beowulf is that I love the script, and I'm a big I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan, and I think that if that movie didn't look like how it did, and didn't and wasn't directed the way Robert Zemeckis made it, it probably would have been a great movie. Mm-hmm, sure. But unfortunately, it is what it is, and now the movie just feels subpar because it just
0: yeah. But also, I remember you were saying, like, this like, an animated movie, but at the same time, it's, like, it is animated, but also, not really, though.
1: No. Yeah. Because... <laughs> <It's, laughs> <laughs> you're like,
0: that's still Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> that's still uh, John uh, Malkovich. Well, I mean, like, tin, like talking about uh, Tintin. But, yeah, like, well, with Tintin, like, because I think they co- it couldn't get an Oscar nomination for Best Animated Movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that was the thing, because it was a performance capture movie, so it couldn't get a nomination for best animated movie. However, I think it did get a nomination for um, for John Williams score. Which is interesting because John Williams, to my knowledge, and I don't think he I, I think he said this in the documentary, he's never done an, an like a quote unquote animated movie before so this is kind of like a rarity i mean it makes sense, sense. You know? if,
1: he, if he was gonna do an animated movie it would be with steven spielberg first off yeah but no now that you mentioned that i'm trying to think i can't think of anything with john williams music in it at least not john williams music that he did directly like obviously there's star wars like the star wars animated shows that have his written music in it but the music's done by somebody else but mm-hmm. no i can't think of an animated movie with his music in it now that you mentioned that
0: i was talking about the actors before specifically Andy Serkis, but this movie has a really, oh yeah, really good cast.
1: You got Jamie Bell as Tintin. You have um, obviously Andy Serkis. You have Daniel Craig, who I think we can both agree. And sorry, Dad, but I'm going to say this: when he's not James Bond, he's the best actor. <laughs> like, like with Daniel Craig is any other anyone else, anyone else but James Bond. You're like, yes, I agree. And I love like Skyfall. That's probably my one of and Skyfall's one of my favorite James Bond movies. But um, admittedly, I would watch Knives Out, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, which, you know, David Fincher directed, bringing him up again. Uh, or Road to Perdition. Pretty much anything else that he's in, uh, I would watch before I would watch a Jay- one of his James Bond movies, no offense to James Bond movies, but
0: that's just me. He's got a hit. Did, did uh, it's just the, the whole the whole cat like they they even have a uh, Carrie Elwes in a in a small role in this movie. They who who does he play? He was one of the pilots. Oh really? In the yeah, if I'm not yeah, I was because these I saw him in the behind the scenes and I never knew that until I watched. The behind the scenes footage where he was like he was there for like a day. That's really cool. Yeah, he was there for like a day for shooting. He was talking about how yeah, it was a good time. You know. Speaking of, fun fact, my brother and I got to meet Carrie always actually at a screening of the Princess Bride. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, good times. Good times.
1: I'm just picturing like uh Steven Spielberg comes up to him and says, Hey, uh Carrie, do you wanna do you wanna be in this movie? I need you to play this character. And he just goes, as you wish. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would, be, I thought, I, that would have been funny if that was the case. I could see him doing that. Probably my, one of my favorite uh, per, well, actors, two of my favorite actors in this movie, going back to Edgar Wright, are Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, who, while they might not have shown up in Scott Pilgrim as much as they joked about them possibly showing up, they do show up in Tintin as probably two of the funniest police officers yep. <laughs> in any movie, mm-hmm. uh, Thompson and Thompson. Thompson with a P. And Thompson without a P.
0: They're a lot of fun in this movie, and they both play their roles very well. And it's because they have the characters have subtle differences and all of that, but they they do it. Yeah. They do such a good job to it. There's such a great commitment, and some of their slapstick in the movie is really funny.
1: <laughs> it's it's so good. I even asked you. I remember that um, when we were watching it, I was like, "Do you um, do you know which one's which?" And you were like, "It, it was a bit hard to tell," but. Um, and I was like, the the one with the the curly little uh, mustache was uh, Nick Frost, and the one with yeah. the more straight mustache was Simon Pegg. They do like you said, they do so well that you don't really, you can't really tell at first. You're like, which one? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but
0: I, but I gotta say, like uh, going off of the cast, I, I think Jamie Bell does a good job as the lead role of Tintin, who it, it's such a hard balance. To, that's a, such a hard character because Tintin is supposed to be young tinted's a young guy but he's not supposed to be like a kid he's not supposed to be like a young kid going on these big adventures he's a young guy who can take care of himself but also doesn't always think of everything he's very smart but doesn't think of everything in every situation right and he's clearly the youngest person in the room that he's in because all the other characters are like middle-aged or older that he interacts with you know and I think he pulls it off very well. And I think yes. looking back on the animation, they do a pretty good job where he looks, I think he, he he's probably the closest thing to like a real person that any of the characters look like. But I think that's important. He doesn't have as exaggerated features as like,
1: um, like Haddock has a big nose and his eyes mm-hmm. are a little bit closer than normal or the Thompsons kind of look like Charlie Chaplin got inflated <laughs> or something <laughs> i'm just or, ima- imagining um, like <laughs> a, like a balloon
0: pump or something it's Just, <laughs> just... <laughs> <laughs>
1: or um or like uh with with daniel craig his character li- like clearly looks like a villain with like his more sharp chin and his big old snipe nose and his hair like kind of poofed back and all um but tintin looks the most normal he does have his his iconic uh little cowlick that he has his like poof thing but other than that like he's pretty much the most normal looking
0: which i think works because he is he is our character that we need to we need to sort of connect with and if he looked really outlandish we wouldn't be i don't think we'd be able to take the movie as seriously as we do you know he's that is our sort of our connection i do agree with that this was rated pg and you would think, oh, PG, you think of, like, Frozen, you think of a bunch of Disney movies, because a bunch of animated movies are just PG, and we think no- nothing of it. These days... Yeah, these days. But, back in the day, PG was just the step before Rated R, so a lot of things fell into PG, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, the Star Wars movies were all PG, the original ones, and not, uh, uh, not until... Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice was... Beetlejuice was PG. Really? Yeah,
1: because it came out before the PG thirteen rating came out. Wild,
0: I didn't know that. Yeah, but yeah, that just goes to show you. There is a lot of things that you probably wouldn't show really young kids now, right? But back then, they didn't think twice about putting something like that in a PG. Not to say that this movie is as extreme as those examples, but the way the movie plays with its to- is with its tone. It's a little more serious than maybe your average family film, especially when you have guns in this and you have bleeding people get stabbed. It is. It is what I will say, to some degree. I think they did have like
1: families in mind. Mm-hmm. Like there are some moments in the movie, um, like I pointed out, there's that burp
0: scene that felt kind of childish. Um, the propeller scene was the one that really made me think of like a kids movie. He goes oh, ah! and he like flies off the propeller. <laughs> He's like oh
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so there are there are moments, but I do. Well, I agree. I do like that the movie. Seems to put more of a focus on just telling the 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 right, putting the right tone and the right feel for the story that they want to tell, um, and I think it's just inherently that Tintin, the book. I haven't read the books, but I'm assuming that inherently they're just more family friendly than say like you know some of the other stuff that's PG. Sure. It's that it's that weird mindset too of because it's an animated movie and because people. Most people can't see animated, like, unless you're watching, like, a manga, like a, like a, like an anime, Mm -hmm. which, sadly, most people don't watch anime. There's, there's fans, obviously, but, like, I would I don't imagine, like, massive general audience really watch those movies. Most people, when they look at animation, they don't, they instantly think, oh, this is for kids, or it's The Simpsons. There's no in-between. Tintin, I think, falls in the in-between,
0: nicely. And I think that's why it was probably on some level hard to market this movie, right? Because well, I'm going to look at the box office real quick. I love looking at these numbers for things. You, you do, you are, you are box office obsessed. <laughs> I am. I I, 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 Yeah, man, it's good stuff. But to be a good producer, thank you. But Tintin in the US in the US made 77 million dollars okay its budget was 135 million yeah however wor- worldwide worldwide i didn't know it made this much it made 373 million dollars worldwide oh wow that's pretty good so that's more than twice that's more than twice its budget and they were planning on making sequels to this i guess it just things things just happened like peter jackson got involved with the hobbit nonsense you know spielberg right. does so many other different things that it's kind of, I mean, it's just kind of hard to fit everything in a schedule. I mean, we talked about Del Toro, Del Toro's infamous for all the quote unquote abandoned projects or projects that he just hasn't gotten to, you know, like you just like, he just got his his scripts on his desk and
1: he's like, I'll get to it in a second. (laughs) I'll
0: get to it. Yeah. With, with this movie, I think it's just like a hard thing to really describe to people because I would certainly recommend it. If you're a fan of like those, like, 80s like you know action advent some action adventure thing from like the 80s or whatever you know if you like pirate movies there's some great pirate action <laughs> scenes in this like when you have the two ships oh my god fighting it, that's a gr- that's a lot of fun it made me think of uh um the uh the maelstrom scene from pirates 3 yes yeah both, both great great whatever you think of pirates 3 both both of those action scenes are are really great honestly
1: high high end action scenes
0: so that's my my thing with kind of both of these movies. Like, yes, the connecting t- one of the main connecting tissues is that they're both you know adaptations in sort of like the, the comics medium. Both have Edgar Wright involvement, but also both of them, I think, unless you've seen them, it's kind it's kind of hard to like go, okay, what is this? Exactly? Yeah, they're they're not easy
1: to describe. As much as I love telling people about Scott Pilgrim. When they actually seem interested, and you ask them, and they say, "What's this about?" and then you go, "Well, it's uh, it's set in this like alternate version of Toronto, Canada, <laughs> and uh, like there's there's fight scenes." The one thing that has worked for me, and this is I, this is actually the way they made the, that movie, was describing it as a musical, but instead of songs, there's fighting, because like when you watch a musical, whenever the song comes up no one acknowledges it later, unless it's a joke. When the emotion kicks in, people sing a song, and then the story moves on. The same can be said for Scott Pilgrim with the fight scenes, because it's, you know, the, when the emotions get high, when an evil ex shows up, there's this massive battle, like like in a video game. But again, it it's not a perfect description, because there is a lot more to say. But it just, it is significant, like, I do agree, it is hard to be like okay this is what this movie is
0: like especially with 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 tintin because i mean with both of them especially but like with tintin because it is a motion capture movie so it's not quite like an animated movie in the traditional sense but it's also not a live action movie so it's kind of hard but i do think that both of these make a really good pairing and they make a good case of how to do these kinds of adaptations don't be afraid of doing it in a certain stylistic um, stylistic fashion. Yeah. Don't be afraid to, you know, sort of embrace embrace the universe, embrace the world, especially when you look at both of them. Like, with Scott Pilgrim, you mentioned this, brilliant With the fight scenes, they're so distinct. Yes. And they feel yes. like they're ripped off the pages of a comic book. Tintin, look, Andy Serkis' character got a huge nose, <laughs> and there's a little puppy <laughs> who could do so many things. A little puppy can do anything. They don't just get, like, a real dog to do it. No, it's a little puppy who could probably do more than, like, an average dog can. Or, like, the, 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 the pirate ship's doing things that maybe not a real pirate ship could do. But you know what? It works. It's just so fun. You believe it when you watch the movie.
1: And, again, like, I think of, like, Aquaman, for example. That's a movie that, you know, James Wan making it just said, I know I'm making Aquaman, so let's make Aquaman. He didn't say... Like oh god, I have to. Mm. I gotta think about this. I gotta. I gotta make it realistic. Uh, I gotta. I gotta dissect it. I gotta make. I, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. You know, dogging
0: Zack Snyder, but I'm, I'm kind of dogging Zack Snyder. <laughs> um, or even even just like other other films in general that have feel the need to have to explain everything that's going on. Or
1: even like just they feel like they have to hold back. No, yeah. These these two movies are two fantastic adaptations of their comics and they they really put the time in to not only adapt the stories but also adapt the artwork you know and as i was saying you know i read a lot of comics and a lot of people talk about their favorite writers they talk about like mark wade or they talk about uh i don't know why mark wade came into my brain but they talk about all these writers but i don't feel like the artist gets enough love and uh so it's nice when, especially when they adapt movies that were written and drawn by the, or adapt comics that are written and drawn by the same person, um, to like bring everything from the comic to the screen. So it's not just the story that they're telling. It's not just like the Winter Soldier, or it's not just the Dark Knight, or Long Halloween, or whatever. They're actually taking the visuals, the visuals from the book, and putting it on screen. So I like what I like that they that these movies do that and represent every aspect of the comic, and I wish more mov- I wish more movies would embrace that a little bit.
0: That about wraps it up. Thank you so much, folks, for listening to our episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature. If you want to send us a message, like us, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. That's where you can reach us. We also got a YouTube channel where we're going to post some stuff pretty soon, so definitely subscribe in our link. Check that out out please do as always as always thank you brian from idaho for checking out on us thank you thank you thank you we love you brian we love you brian as always a lot of fun to record this with you richard and folks hope you guys tune in next week have a good night everyone
1: john and kenny made a track in the tunes they do agree Rock those sexy all day Well, mostly Kenny did.